0: The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. So church, we are going to continue in Luke. I think today you're going to see uh, very clearly as to why last week Jesus was was really working with the disciples to make sure that, that... They understood the cost, right? I mean, there was some pretty rough stuff, right? Let the dead bury the dead. Keep your hand to the plow. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't look back, right? I want to say goodbye to my family. No, you come with me. Why? Kevin just read Luke 10, 1 through 20. And and what we see, the reason they needed to understand that cost is because Jesus is about to send them out. It says, as lambs in the midst of wolves. <laughs> That's not good, right? You've never seen a lamb on some UFC, right? Like, they're a defenseless little creature. And wolves? Wolves devour. And yet they're to go. So the first thing we see in the first map point that you'll see is that the specifications of the mission are this. Prayer, power, proclamation. I gather that from Luke 10:1 through 12. And I'm actually not going to read all of that to you again. I am going to read the first few verses, but then I want you to know where we're working at, and that's where we're going to find ourselves right now in that section. It says, after this, after what? After making sure that the disciples would understand the cost of following. Right? Right? the lord appointed 72 others right? you can see the multiplication factor you had the 12 disciples you had well the apostles and then you had the disciples and now god's gathering this people and he's sending them out with this good news and he points 72 others he sends them out ahead of him and look what it says two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go and he said to them listen the harvest is plentiful But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Notice the disciples are are in answer to Jesus' prayer. And then he says, Go. Right? And, and, and that's where I'm going to stop. And I just want to look right now because this very specific instruction, and it is very specific. I keep telling you, you've got to remind yourself when you read the Bible, there are descriptive things in the Bible and there are prescriptive things. You, not, I've seen some of you, you had a couple bags today, right? You had your purse, you had your phone, you had an iPad, right? So you, you're like, you didn't listen to this, right? You maybe have a couple pairs of shoes. These instructions are not meant to be a step-by-step manual or approach for modern missions. The church I came from, we had the joy and the delight of sending six families to West Bengal, India, to reach Muslims. 21 million Muslims, six people, go. And guess what they had? Luggage. Luggage. Right? So this is not a step-by-step manual for the approach of, of modern missions, but these are instructions and they're for a specific time and a specific place. But I would say this, there's a lot of, of things we can gather and understand and instruction that might inform and impact how we approach reaching the city of Greensburg here it For the City Church, right? So what do, we, what do we learn? Speaking, by the way, of the city of Greensburg, have you ever felt a little overwhelmed at the thought of trying to reach the city of Greensburg with the good news of Jesus Christ. Man, i got a lot of head shakes. If you, you know, you say amen, maybe. But it's, it's, there's like 15,000 people, city proper, right? That's, that's a, an, a, an estimate, let's say. But seriously, think about it. How's a ragtag bunch of sinners saved by grace going to reach a people with so many needs? There's a, there's a lot of needs in this room. Now, magnify that. It's a lot. And, and one of my normal responses to that question is, how would you eat a whale? And you're like, I wouldn't. I don't like seafood. Okay, how would you eat a cow? Right? Well, I'd deep freeze most of it and take it one bite at a time. That's kind of how you approach missions, right? right? It's, it's really how you approach a city. You have to break the thing down. It's one bite at a time. But if we stick with the, the whale metaphor and you got no freezer, you're never going to finish that thing in your lifetime. So what do you got to do? You got to invite some friends to the party. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He started out with a handful of people and then he kept gathering and he kept discipling and now they're making disciples and he keeps sending them out. And so you take it one bite at a time. Gospel ministries like that, it's a team sport. He sent them out two by two. We need each other. I was talking to a young couple the other day, and they're talking about how different they are. And I'm like, okay, this is a good thing, but they don't see it. Well, he's so, you know, bold with the gospel. And I'm thinking, yeah, but you're compassionate, and he desperately needs that. Me too, right? And so it's, it's a team. I hate to say sport, but you get my point, right? Like we need each other. But this church needs other churches too. It's not If it's meant to be, it's not just up to us thankfully. I meet with other pastors every other Thursday to pray for the city of Greensburg, to encourage one another in the gospel, because we need to be reminded first and foremost, or we have nothing to offer people, right? And so it is a team sport, and we see that, which is why Jesus, before giving these marching orders, lays out this immense need. Listen to the language. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and we need to think over the imagery that Jesus is giving here of this harvest being a bumper crop, right? I used to trim Christmas trees because I'm from the, the great city of Indiana, PA. It's the Christmas tree capital of the world. And, and we would harvest those babies at Christmas time, some in the fall, some in the spring for digging, but mostly just chopping them down, bailing them out, sending them and selling them to a lot of suckers who spend way too much money on Christmas trees. But hey, whatever you're into. Right, it was good for business, but we, at certain peak seasons, had to bring other people in because the needs were too great for our little crew, right? And and the same things here. We, family, do you even believe that the harvest is plentiful? Get the imagery. the The harvest illustration that's being given here is Jesus is painting the idea of him gathering God's people together for the kingdom secure from judgment. Now, do you believe that right now, all over this city, let's just stick with Greensburg, all over the city, there are people at Walmart and out for breakfast and this and that, and that if they heard the gospel proclamation, they would believe, repent of their sins, trust in Christ, and be saved from the wrath of God. Because what this text is saying is, that's exactly the that's the scenario painted across the world. I think we think, well, no, no one's going to believe you. you have to be born into Christianity. That was never the case. You're born again into Christianity. But there's a great need. So what to do in the face of the need? Look what Jesus says. It's always a good, good thing to do. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest pray. <laughs> well, that's not the American way. Do. Go. Busy yourself. That's, and by the way, you have to do those things. So if you're like, oh, I just love to sit in my closet and pray and never do anything beyond that. Well, keep reading. There's a great and ready harvest, family, but there's far too labors. When, when we landed here, um, there were seven of us ready to do the work of church planting. Okay. They, we were very eager, very afraid, but ready to roll. But we didn't know anybody in Greensburg, not one. <laughs> so we started gathering at, at our home and, and we, but, but our primary work for the first year was to pray and to just to get to know people in the city. But no one wanted to get to know us. And we showered, we brushed our teeth. We did the thing. But, oh, there was this thing called the pandemic. And people weren't even gathering with people that they love and people that they know. And so it's, it's, it was a slow work. And we just kept saying, Lord, just continue to bring people into our lives. Put us into people's lives. We want them to know of your grace. And he slowly did that. He slowly did that. And so we went through the book of Acts and we started to say, and we kept saying, pray, 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 pray. Ask for power. Ask for boldness. Ask for compassion. Go. Right? And, that, and that's, that's what we sought to do. And the game plan hasn't changed. That's, that's the mistake that happens. You get enough people gathering around, and now you start to do lots of other things. Right? You know what I mean? Like, the, the request is not that we should have whiteboard planning sessions. Now, you might have a whiteboard, I've had, we've had whiteboard planning sessions. It's not that that we should work out our mission statement so it looks real sexy on the website. That's good to do. I think ours, ours is good. I like our website. I'm thankful for it. People have come because of it. Praise the Lord. Get your programs up and running, right? So you got something for all ages and maybe for the pets too. To be clear, I'm not against those things. They're sometimes necessary, but here's the thing. they're not essential. They're, they're not essential. Prayer? Prayer's essential. When's the last time and I don't man, prayer's always easy to guilt, but guilt doesn't change behavior. Grace does. Grace does. It changes behavior for a little bit, not long. No heart change transformation, right? But when's the last time you intently seriously resolutely prayed to the lord of the harvest to just bring more people to do the labor because that's the request that jesus is asking it's one request pray pray right pray god reversed the trend we need more people to go into the field and your field it might be the kids' baseball field, softball field. It might be the photography field. I'm just looking at all of you right now, and I'm thinking about all of you individually. It isn't like, yeah, let's go to Thailand. You might go to Thailand, but I'm just talking Walmart. I'm talking across the street, your neighborhood. That's what I'm talking about. Pray. So my encouragement to you, and, and not right this second, right? Because you'll, you'll miss everything I'm about to say then. But I want you to take your phones and I want you to put in your timer, if you're willing, um, at 10.02 a.m. p.m. Unless you're like, I go to bed at 8. Okay. Then 8.02, whatever, you know, works for you. The reason I say 10.02 is because it's Luke 10.2. That's just how I think. Right? And, and set an alarm. And then when that alarm goes off. And by the way, you don't have to do like this mega 23-minute prayer. A little quick prayer. Father. Oh, give us, give us more laborers to send out. One request. One request. Not just for, for the city, but for all the churches. Give them more people to love you, to love their neighborhood. What might God do? And we might never know. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that if the Lord uses that to bless another church, because it's not about this church, it's not about their church, it's about the great name of Jesus Christ well let's pray we might not ever be great in the eyes of the city who cares whoop-dee-doo-da-ding but maybe we'd stand before the throne room of heaven and we could see that the people that have come to receive the gospel of grace because you took time to pray so let's pray we can do that all of us can do that so do that please why because time is short and hell is hot and it's eternal and it's real oh that's so whatever you want to say after that save it for someone else it's real it's eternal there are people you love headed there i don't say it to scare you but the smelling salts under your nose maybe to wake up to the reality there's an urgency to this mission That's what I'm saying, which is why they were to not carry a money bag, right? Or a magic blue card. You know what those are, right? Bad decisions come from those, right? It's like, oh, it's free money. It's not free money. You have to pay it back. No knapsack, no fanny pack. No man should ever have a fanny pack. No sandals, (laughs) no hey dudes, right? Greet no one on the road. What? I thought we were supposed to meet people. No, he means no chit-chat, no time for the cappuccino. And I love cappuccinos. I'm going to have one tomorrow, God willing. (laughs) But what's he getting at? He says, urgency. I got shoes on today. I like them. He's not saying you're supposed to just go out and be like, here, 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 here. You could do that. Say you're with another church, maybe. They're to go proclaiming. They're to heal the sick. And they're to say to any given community, the kingdom of God is near you. Meaning, the kingdom's here in a sense. But here's what they're really saying the king is here. Well, anytime you hear the word kingdom, man, churches get all bent out of whack on this stuff. It just means rule and reign of God. The king's on the throne. By the way, the kingdom is here, but it's not here in full, it's in part. There will be a day when the kingdom comes in full. And on that day, all your tears will be pressed out of your eyes and the ones you caused will be pressed out of their eyes too. And it's time for judgment. But it's time for new heavens and new earth. It's good. It's here in full. But it's not here in full now. But anytime the church, the people of God, show up with the love of God and with the mercy of God and with the grace of God and with the, the warnings of, of judgment of God, the kingdom's very near. So this city is not... An unreached city. It's fully reached. It doesn't mean they're fully saved. But they have everything they need to come to faith. Why? Because God's people is here. You know there's places in the world that's not the case. The kingdom coming near means that you have to deal with the person of Christ. That's what it means. This is not going to be easy work. As some of you, we know. We've been laboring It's not easy work. Why? Because there's a darkness in this world and it hates light. There's a real enemy and he hates Christ. And because he hates Christ, he hates Christ's people. He, He says lambs in the midst of wolves. Do you think it? Now, does it make sense why he was saying, you better count the cost, bro? Jesus talks like that in my head. He doesn't really talk like that lambs in the midst of wolves count the cost i'll go jesus wherever you want to go let's go okay here's what's going to happen you're going to be a lamb and we're going to walk in the midst of wolves count the cost he's saying you're gonna you're gonna be vulnerable but man these lambs because of god's grace they did all right look at look at the second point the seriousness of the mission has eternal consequences look 13 through 16, Luke 10, 13 through 16. It says, woe to you, Kurzan, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. By the way, Tyre, Sidon, those are the places where Jesus was doing much great work and they were trying to throw him off a cliff in chapter 4 of Luke. And now they're sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more, listen, more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Cabernon, would would you be exalted to heaven? Oh, you shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects essentially the father who sent me. Whew. By the way, whoa, whoa! how do you hear that? I've heard a lot of preachers say, woe to you, brother. But really, I have. That's not whoa. Woe is a compassionate plea. It, it's a sorrowful warning. Now think about your kid, if you have a kid. Think about your nephew, if you have a nephew. Someone you love that's very vulnerable. And they're about to get smashed on the road. You might scream, whoa, but your heart is, whoa, stop. You're headed to destruction. Whoa, pause, come back, come here. This is Christ. He's saying that Sodom would face a more tolerable judgment than the last day, than those who had rejected the testimony of the 72. If you don't know what that means, read your Bible, read Genesis. It's not good. Don't miss this, though. There's a real weight to gospel-bearing witnesses in the world because of what it says. It's vividly clear what Jesus is saying right here, that rejecting Jesus and his message and his messengers is more serious than any other sin in the entire world. And if you reject Jesus' own representatives, their witness, their declaration to you, then you have rejected Christ. As long as they're representing Christ with his word. If it's the gospel. Well, I just don't like God's people. I don't like the church. There's lots of reasons I'm not like the church. It's a fact. It's a fact. It's, it's, it's caused some challenges. Right? But it's still the greatest place on earth. God's people is still the greatest place on earth. I get so weary of hearing people just shred the church. Now, if you've been grieved and hurt by the church, let's work through that. God will heal you. He will bring about hope. He'll bring about healing. Some hurts, are, they're real. I'm not diminishing them. But man, God's people represent God when they proclaim the good news of Jesus. And by the way, all throughout this testimony is that your lives ought to match the proclamation. Life and lips. You can't go to your neighbor and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ every time you walk down the street and kick their dog. They might not hear. Maybe you're like, I'd never kick a puppy. Yeah, but you might slander the woman at dinner. Oh, that's more real. That hit. Because everybody treats puppies better. Don't want to be rough on a puppy, but it's easy to slander a grandma. He says, if you reject me, that's not good. And people are like, well, I'm not rejecting Christ. I'm just rejecting that message. You reject my people and their message. You have rejected me. And if you reject me, you reject the one who sent me. You see, no matter where you go, you hear this gospel, receive, repent, turn, follow me. If not there's dire consequences. That's exactly what he's saying. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21 really lays out this idea of this receive the message of the kingdom, and if you do, it's like receiving the king. So you're not just rejecting the message. You reject the message, you reject the king. That's exactly what Christ is saying here. Do not miss the point. This good news is, it's only good, it's always good news, but it's really only good news if it gets there in time. It's urgent. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21 says, All this, meaning this gospel ministry, from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, he's given us, listen, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, Not counting their trespasses, their sins against them, and listen, entrusting to the people of God, us, the message of reconciliation. The gospel that you have reconciles, it has the power to bring sinners into the family of God and reconcile them to the God whom they, you, and I have mightily sinned against. We have this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors. We don't use that language anymore. Too much, anyway. For Christ, we get to represent the king. Individually, corporately, worldwide, as the big C people of God. And God, listen, makes his appeal to lost people through us. And then he says, so we implore you, let's beg, earnestly beg. Oh, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And then he gives the good news for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. This is our call. We're to be the mouth of peace of God, we're to represent him. Does that intimidate you? If so, I got to tell you, you're in great company. I mean, you really are, right? Moses, right? He shied away from great responsibility because he wasn't eloquent with words. It's okay. I like that song. Do you know? I'm glad no one here is on fire. Right? I used to go to church and they'd be like, let's be on fire. I'm like, that doesn't sound good. I don't know what that means. They would always say fire. Right? Um, And so... Sisters, nothing but grace. God loves you, and it's, I'm glad you're here. Um, Moses, yeah, okay, so Moses is talking to a bush that's on fire, right? We didn't plan that, I promise you. And, and, and Moses was very slow of speech. It says speech and tongue. So, so, but do you remember God's confronting rebuke? He says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth, teach you what you shall speak. You're like, oh, yeah, but that was in the Old Testament. Okay, well, I got another Old Testament dude for you. How about Jeremiah? Um, his real problem, listen to his problem. Do not say, that I, he's like, I'm just a young boy. I'm just a youth And God said, do not say that I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. Do you know what he says to the disciples at the end of the Gospels? I will be with you always and forever. He's with you. He's with the people of God. In Acts, one of my favorite texts in all the Bible is Acts 17, 6 through 7. It says, these men... These men, these women, the people of God, have turned the world upside down, saying that there's another king, Jesus. See, we don't get the language of the king, but but they were not bending the knee to the tyrants of the time because they said they have another king. And they said, well, we'll kill you. And they, paraphrase, said, if you do, then death is gain. But I want you to know there is another king. And so they turned the world upside down. How did these Christians turn the world upside down? By the way, you're like, did that really happen? We're talking about Jesus 2,000 years ago. And that happened in, in Jerusalem. And by the way, we're a little bit away from that. Here in Greensburg. Yeah, he's still doing it. He's still turning the world upside down. This message, this gospel, the, the message that there's another king. There's only one king. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Bow. This call to a a unique way of life. They weren't, these were not impressive people. I think we we just think they're so impressive. They were not. They had, they we have an impressive king. It gives us real power. The book of Acts shows us the result of the early church's effort it wasn't because of their own gifting, their own money. It, although some were gifted and some were wealthy, I mean, but Peter and John, they were brought before the council and they were called unschooled and ordinary men. They were fishermen. What do you have to say to us, losers? That's essentially what they're saying. Even their leaders were not extraordinary. Oh, we think, yeah, they've got to be extraordinary these very unimpressive people turned the world upside down. How? By submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. By proclaiming the life-giving news of Jesus. His substitutionary life. His substitutionary death. His bodily triumphant resurrection over Satan, over sin, over death. And their lives were about displaying good deeds and proclamation of good news And God used these very ordinary and very unimpressive Christians to change lives. One conversion at a time. One meal at a time around the dinner table. One act of mercy at a time. And that's how they ate the whale. And they devoured it. You read the New Testament. The book of Acts takes place over 30 years of history. The gospel went, the people went, persecution came, it continued to spread, Christ continued to be magnified. The third point is the supreme joy of our mission is adoption and nothing else, primarily. Look, I, I mean, I love this text, it has fed me all week. Look at 17 through 20. It says, The 72 returned with joy. <laughs> You ever think about missions as joy? You're like, it's so dreadful. I don't want to talk. This is, ministry doesn't have to be dreadful. It can be joy entering into the mess of people's lives and bringing good news. But it's going to mess you up at times. Don't think it's not without pain. Oh, it's got pain. But they return with joy. And look what they say. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they even said in your name. They didn't say in our name. They're not bragging on us. Right? These are some gangster lambs. There's some gangster lambs, right? They come back from the mission and they had a smashing success. And they're like, Lord, let us tell you about this. And look what Jesus says to them. He said, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Pause. A lot of people are like, is that like when he was kicked out of heaven as an angel, fallen angel to the earth, this, that? No, I think he's saying, I see his destruction coming to ruin as you're going out. I know how it ends, guys. I know how it ends. I've seen him fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you. Now listen, this is for them. Authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Listen, that's for them. I tell you that because you think, I'm just going to walk around barefoot, trample on some scorpions. You can do that. It will not end well you ever heard of a church-handling snake? I'm telling you, dumb theology can get you killed. West Virginia. They'd still do it today. We could take a field trip there, but that would be making fun of them, and I wouldn't want to do that. But, but we should probably help them, right? They'll grab a rattlesnake at the end of the service. They'll hold it up by the tail, and they'll be like, see, I can hold snakes just because Mark 16, obscure text they don't understand, says that I can you know hold snakes and serpents and not get bitten. If I do get bit, I'll still live, just like Paul. Straight in the neck happened about four years ago. Homeboy died. Really bad theology can get you killed. You can see it on YouTube. I don't recommend it. And you shouldn't rejoice over it. And we hope that man's with the Lord. But listen. What Jesus is saying is he's celebrating this mission trip with them. But then he says this. He says this, listen to what he says. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The 72 returned, they had a successful trip, they healed the sick, they cast out demons. Matthew's account says that they actually raised the dead. That's good news. Of great joy. It's exactly what Jesus said his ministry would consist of in Luke 4. When we looked at that 17 months ago. Imagine for a moment. If you did even one of those things. Or to say it properly. That God did one of those things through you. I mean seriously. Just think about it. Imagine. if God healed someone's cancer through you as you laid your hands on them and prayed for them. Imagine if when you were called to go home uh, to the home of someone who had just died, they just lost a loved one, and you walked in, and by God's grace, you brought them back to life. They weren't dead anymore. You got them a sandwich. They were breathing. They were talking. They were smiling again. Imagine if that happened to you. Imagine if God used your voice to cast out demons that had been harassing and tormenting someone. I mean, seriously, think about it. Just for a minute, can you imagine Can you imagine something more exhilarating than being used by God in that way to intervene in someone else's tragedy? Any of us who have ever experienced God's grace and power moving in our lives in a particular way like that, even in small ways, can relate to this joy of God working through you and in you to help people. And how does Jesus respond to their enthusiasm? Essentially, he says, keep kicking at the darkness until it bleeds light. I'm rejoicing. I've seen him fall and how it ends. But then, he's like, Satan's power, it's it's coming to an end. He can see the cross. He's headed to Jerusalem. His power, his influence over this world is losing its grip. Not long from the moment he said that he's going to go to the cross, and we learn in Colossians 2.15 that he will then disarm the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them through him. Jesus saw Satan fall from his rickety little throne in that mad moment. Now imagine, imagine how pumped you would be if this was happening. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Look what he says. He goes on, nevertheless, that's great, guys, gals. I'm so glad that that, that the, the Father was working in you and through you to do all these mighty things. He says, but nevertheless, do not rejoice in this primarily, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's how I like to say it, but it's written in heaven. Same thing. Think this over. What is the greater miracle? I mean, answer this. This is something you have to think about. What is the greater miracle? That the Spirit of God removed a demon from another person's life through your ministry or that He removed your body from the lake of fire and His wrath. Which one do you want to rejoice in? Do you, do you marvel more at the wonders of God working through your efforts in ministry and life more than what He does for us as weak sinful needy people ungodly people apart from the grace of god do you find that your life and your ministry efforts are for for more excited about for jesus than what jesus's ministry is for you so i think we think we get saved and then we go do all these things for jesus but but none of us have graduated from grace. You and I still need the ministry of God in our lives every second of every day or you've got nothing to offer this city. You'll you walk around like a bobblehead, all puffed up, just bumping into folks, talking about how great... You'll, you'll say it churchified because you've been trained well enough. But you really point at yourself. When you understand the gospel daily, you begin to shrink. You begin to decrease. He begins to increase. You're like, I'm just a beggar, and I know where to get some food. Come, because it's the bread of life. Don't say that, though, because they won't get it. They don't even understand that, right? That's some like strange language. It's good language. But I, I want to bring it to a man named Jesus who's going to, to save you and redeem you and heal you and help you. How do you know that? Because he's he's healed me. He's helped me. He's restored me. He sustains me even now. I've not arrived, but I have hope. Hope. See, don't miss the point that Jesus is saying to the disciples. He's saying, essentially, ministry makes a horrible God. See, if our identity... And happiness is wrapped up in life and in ministry, we'll eventually despair when it doesn't go as planned. Who will? I've done it. Guilty. See, Jesus is not rebuking all joy in ministry. Just read Paul's letters I rejoice! <laughs> he says it a lot. I rejoice in you. I think of each of you in my prayers, and I don't and say, oh, good for you. I love you, but, but I need the love of God as much as every person here. I've not arrived. You've not arrived. We've not arrived. But I rejoice in you. See, ministry, and, and when I say ministry, I think some of you probably think just the pastor. By the way, if you're in Christ, you have a ministry. How are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. But you, ha- you are a minister of the gospel. That's the language of the Bible. No, no, no. The paid guy. No, no, no. You, me, in Christ, laboring. My aim, my goal, it's not my only job, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that's what I'm going to do until the Lord calls me home. But I, you can have so much joy in ministry, but listen, there's times where you can get it out of whack. So be on guard of loving Jesus more for what he does in you and through you than what he does for you. Big difference. There's a big difference there. Philippians 3 7 through 8 says this Paul says, But whatever gain I had, and you, whatever gain I had means anything. Including ministry. He says, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of, listen, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish, trash, dung in order that I might gain Christ. Can you and I say that? I hope. Would we be as satisfied in Jesus if our ministries, or listen, or if your life crumbled right before you? I mean, seriously. If your gifts, your money, the things you love just vanished. If your friendship, relationships never led to any tangible fruit of people loving God. If your influence and your fruitfulness washed away tomorrow, Jesus says, ready? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Oh God, I believe, but help my unbelief. See, you and I don't have the grace and the mercy to do that right now. But if it were to ever happen, you can trust that your Father will provide. And no one here should ever say, man, I want that to happen. That's weird. We should talk. You can buy the coffee. I like a cap from the White Rabbit. But if it does happen, God help us to say that. Don't miss it. You cannot serve both Jesus and ministry or anything else for that matter. Career, wife, husband, children. No, you can't. And it's a great reminder to all of us to not put our hope in the service to God, but in the fact that he serves sinners like us. That's our hope. I need grace. I need mercy. I've not graduated from I don't need forgiveness anymore, and neither have you. Family, our ultimate joy should not be in the power and the gifts that Jesus provides nor in some real or perceived success of ministry, but in knowing that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Our thrill should not be over the power or the gift, but over the Giver of grace. We rejoice in the God of grace. All grace. He's He's the God of all grace. And He don't run out of grace. He's got abundant grace for you. For your past, for your present sins, and for the sins you're going to commit, you cannot exhaust His love, His grace, His mercy. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in Him. Because see, there's a big danger in this world and in this life of believing that your success defines you. Or even believing that your failures define you. And neither of those Define you, right? I mean, I think about this all the time. Like, I'll talk to a young girl, it's almost always a girl. I don't really generally hear guys talking about they're, they're overweight or anything, but I'll, I'll talk to a young girl, and, or an old girl maybe, right? And she'll say, I'm fill in the blank. A lot of times, fat. I'm fat. And I'm like, You're not fat. You might have some chub. I got some chub, right? <laughs> You, you, you might, you might got, you know, on a BMI, be a little off balance. But you're not fat. You might have fat. Okay. That's healthy. That's good, by the way. Right. To have a little. But you have toes. I don't ever hear someone say, I'm a, I'm a toe. You got toes. This is silly, but this is serious. You can't laugh. He's crying. Some of you are probably crying. Like, hurry up. Let's finish this thing out. <laughs> Land the plane, bro. It's getting a little off the rails. Right? But, but I want to sit on this point. I want to sit on this point. God defines you. He defines you. What you do or don't do, whether you succeed or whether you fail, doesn't define you. It does not define you. He defines you. And if you're in Christ, here's what He says. Look at me. My beloved... My beloved, my son, my daughter, my beloved. Yeah, but I've blown it. My son, my daughter, my beloved. But I've really messed up my life. My son, my daughter, my beloved. I love you. He died for you while you were a weak, ungodly sinner. When you were rebelling against Him, warring against Him, and He died for you. That's a great picture of love. You and I would barely die for the people we love. Maybe some of you wouldn't. We hopefully never have to find out. But he died for you while you were warring against him. And now you think, man, Jesus died for me while I was sinning. And and that was enough to get me into heaven. But now it's up to me to get myself to the end. And you make the mistake of thinking that now Christianity is just do it. But it's finished. It's finished. He says, you're mine. I love you. Now go minister out of that love. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. Family, the adoption of God was was not plan B, it was always his plan. He predestined us for adoption before the creation of the world, Revelation 13.8 says. It was always his plan A. Plan A was not, let's get a bunch of sweet little children who never sin and never need to be redeemed. He said, no, they're going to be messy. How messy? Well, son, you've got to die for them, to save them, to forgive them, to redeem them. Plan A was always creation, was always fall was always redemption, was always adoption, and then he's going to make all things new. It's always been his plan. He didn't surprise him. His plan's always have been to bring smelly sinners with crooked teeth, broken smiles, who cuss, spit, fall, laugh, dance, weep, into the family of God and rejoice in him forever. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great plan of salvation. Help me to be compassionate when people say this is what man has conceived and contrived. Because there ain't no man or woman who would ever come up with that. Because it doesn't have us as the hero. It's so true, so good. You're far greater than anything else we might rejoice in. Help us to see. Help us to believe. God, thank you for loving sinners like us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for making us new creations. Lord, thank you for giving us the gift of your Spirit who's always at work. And even when we're stumbling, fumbling, straining forward, or just sloppily falling down and laying and whining, you have promised that you will complete this good work that you have began. And this is never an excuse to sin because you will discipline your children for righteousness. You sanctify us, and there's going to be a day when you will glorify us. And until that day, and when that day happens, and from every day after that, for all of eternity, may we rejoice in the fact that, Jesus, you are the greatest treasure of all the world. Help us to love you more fully, more deeply, and may that love swell up into our hearts and our minds and into the lives of the people we come in contact with for your name's sake. In Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnified Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.